Grace to you and peace from God our Father and his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please have a seat. So good morning. I got this from our library. You can too. It's the HarperCollins Study Bible. And one of the great and probably unforeseen consequences of the Protestant Reformation was that Christians all over the world can have their own Bible in their own language, and we're all free to read it all by ourselves. And now with the internet, we're free to research it all by ourselves too, which is a good, good thing. And I wish more people tried it, I really do, because I think the more people that read this book and study it and share their insights and listen to other people's insights, the better this world is gonna be. But at the same time, as the great Arlo Guthrie pointed out, you can't have a light without a dark to put it in. And the dark side of everybody being able to read the Bible in their own language and get online and do their own research is that everybody can also get online and share the results of their research as if it carries the same weight as Thomas Aquinas or Anselm of Canterbury or some other scholar who spends 12 hours a day studying scripture. Now, you may think that the world of um, theology and biblical criticism and is like an intimidating intellectual club that only people like David Urian and the elite religious minds of each century can contribute to, but trust me when I tell you, it's totally not. Biblical research today is like Wikipedia on steroids. Everybody puts in their two cents, and they broadcast it, and they print it, and they publish it, and they post it, and they blog it, and some of them know less about the Bible than you do. Because if you attend an Episcopal church, you at least hear the majority of the Bible every three years in church. There are people out there, I kid you not, blogging their w biblical wisdom based on a single reading of four sentences in one book of the New Testament. I'm not exaggerating. Everyone thinks they're an expert. But the truth is, the Bible is a big, long, complicated set of books. And sometimes those four sentences you read make more sense with some outside information. So in that spirit, today we have this story of Jesus being baptized in the River Jordan. Jesus' baptism is at least mentioned, if not explained, in all four Gospels which tells us, number one, it probably actually happened, and number two, it's important. Unfortunately, since it's not explained in all four Gospels, that leaves us with this troubling question of, why did Jesus get baptized? John the Baptist told people to repent and be baptized. Jesus didn't need to repent. People were baptized by John and then became his followers. Jesus didn't follow John. So what gives? For Luke, we heard this morning, as for his predecessors, Mark and Paul, it didn't seem to make much difference one way or another. And the gospel according to John is kind of vague and circuitous, like everything in the gospel according to John. It's really only Matthew who was at pains to give a reason for Jesus' baptism, which he said Jesus did out of obedience to his Father in heaven and that God was pleased with that decision. What all of them agree on, though, is that immediately after Jesus was baptized, God identified him as God's own son, the beloved with whom God is well pleased. 
and that only then did Jesus begin his public ministry. So this is where it gets interesting, because when God says all that, he's quoting the book of Isaiah, which basically means God was quoting himself. Uh, in chapter 42, verse 1 of Isaiah, God says to either Israel or King Cyrus of Persia, that's up for debate, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. It's kind of important that you know that because Jesus and his followers certainly knew that. So when the Holy Spirit lands on Jesus in bodily form like a dove and the voice from heaven speaks, Jesus is given his ministry, his mission in life by God. And it's a biggie. Bring forth justice to the nations. That's a tall order, right? We can look back maybe from the comfort, relative comfort of your cushioned pews and say, yeah, well, Jesus was God, so not such a tall order. But he wasn't just God. He was a man. That's one of the points of his baptism. If he were strictly divine, then he definitely would not have been baptized. But he was human. And the truth is, he wasn't a very young human either. Luke tells us that Jesus was 30 at the time of his baptism. And in the first century Mediterranean world, the average life expectancy was anywhere from about 26 to 36, depending on a lot of factors. So Jesus and his disciples would have known they had less than a decade left of life, if that. And still, their God-given mission was to bring justice to the nations. Now imagine if we set our sights that high. Forget, you know, we would like to grow as a parish. Or we would like to increase our outreach budget. Imagine if our mission was to bring justice to the nations in less than 10 years. Could St. Anne's in the fields, all 166 pledging units, bring justice to the nations? Okay, now I realize this is going to sound crazy, but I actually think you can. And here's why. Because we are part of a huge spiritual web, something so much bigger than those of us here this morning. The real reach of St. Anne's in the Fields stretches back to the beginning of Hebrew scripture and forward to the end of time and outward to every person we touch and every person they touch. And that's how we bring justice to the nations. You know, it's possible that one of our kids will end up being president, right? I would vote for either one of those acolytes. Grace and Mitchell, I vote for you. Or maybe someone will be appointed Secretary General of the United Nations. But in the meantime, you and I meet people every day that give us an opportunity to make the world a more just place. One person at a time, one experience at a time. Every interaction with another human being is a chance to bring forth justice to the nations, starting with that person. And don't discount how powerful that makes you. We do ourselves and our ministry as Christians a disservice if we downplay those interactions. The person you interact with is no less than a child of God. C.S. Lewis 
said, the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. It is fragile mortals with immortal souls who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You and I have the ability and the responsibility to help each other become the Christian we want to be. And we have the ability and responsibility to make this church the church we want to worship in. And we have the ability and the responsibility to reach beyond this church to the ordinary, extraordinary people around us every day to create the world we want to live in. We can bring justice to the nations, and we have God's blessing and encouragement and, frankly, God's command to do just that every day. The Spirit did not just descend on Jesus at his baptism. It was at your baptism, too. It's in all of us. And that Spirit strengthens us to do this crazy task of being a light to the world, of bringing justice to the nations. We can do this. You've been doing it for over a century here. Keep doing it till the kingdom comes and know that God is well pleased. Amen. <laughs>